Now, the Moon Jae-in administration continues to push ahead with its signature new southern policy with the Association of Southeast Asian Nations. We often say ASEAN to refer to them, seeking diplomatic diversity. But New Zealand is making a similar attempt with its Pacific Reset policy. During a visit to the country last December, for example, President Moon highlighted New Zealand as an important partner in the initiative. And it's one of the many cooperative measures the two countries are pursuing. New Zealand's ambassador to South Korea, Philip Turner, is in the studio right now, which is why I mention all this. Good morning to you. Good morning, Alex. It's great to be here. Yeah, nice to meet you as well. Can, can you start by just expanding on New Zealand's role in a whole range of areas? It, it, it also touches on politics, doesn't it? Every time we talk about this peninsula, the whole question of denuclearization and the role of the UN command also comes up. Yeah, that's right. And New Zealand and Korea have a, have a great relationship. Uh, we see ourselves as natural partners. Uh, and the relationship goes back a long way, starting initially in the Korean War, which is not a great way to begin a relationship, perhaps. But you know, that's, that's provided a, a great platform for the relationship to develop. And even today, we have six New Zealanders serving with the United Nations Command uh, in Korea, with the third largest contributor to the UNC. Uh, so clearly, on the security and the political side, it's an important relationship. We strongly support uh, the efforts of the, the Koreans and, and others to bring peace and denuclearization to Peninsula. Uh, we're heavily involved. We support UN sanctions. And we've even been involved in specific initiatives, like uh, we sent a, a P-3 Orion aircraft uh, to help with surveillance of the international waters around Korea. And uh, we work with uh, countries in the Pacific, for example, to ensure that uh, illegally flagged North Korean vessels are, are not operating uh, in the area. So there's a bunch of ways in which New Zealand, in our, in our relatively modest way, uh, is able to contribute to those issues as well. Very good to hear, and a nice place to start. But there are a few other areas of cooperation that we can rattle off. Speaking of waters before, for example, we have... Uh, Royal New Zealand Navy's largest ship built by Hyundai Heavy Industries. And uh, we saw the ceremony to launch that at a shipyard in Ulsan at the end of, of April, which was perhaps more meaningful even because three Korean War veterans and their families took part in the ceremony. Can you tell us how that came about and how it went a little bit more about the occasion? Sure. It was a marvellous occasion. It was really meaningful uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, first off, this is the largest ship the New Zealand Navy has ever built. It's 25,000 tonnes, which is a big ship for us. It's essentially a tanker, so it's a naval sustainment capability. It'll provide the ability to, to refuel uh, ships uh, and helicopters at long distance offshore. Uh, but it will also be able to support uh, humanitarian disaster relief activities throughout the, the Pacific and elsewhere. That's important for us. Secondly, uh, its predecessor, which was called the Endeavour, was also built in Ulsan by Hyundai. So there's a tradition there of, of taking the best Korean expertise in shipbuilding, uh, and we're delighted to continue that relationship. And thirdly, as you say, we had three New Zealand veterans come up this year for the launch. Uh, they're kind of living proof of the, of the bond that we have between New Zealand and Korea. And uh, it was very meaningful this year that the veterans were able to, to come along and be a, attend the launch, as well as join in the annual Commonwealth veteran activities that we mm -hmm. have every year. It is encouraging to hear that Korean shipbuilding is still recognised so 
so highly. Can we expect to see further collaboration between some of these big Korean businesses and, and New Zealand? Yeah, we would hope so. Uh, certainly the Korean side is very keen, as they said to <laughs> us when we were there. And look, you know, we're using Hyundai this time because we think they are the best in the world at what they do. And we're hopeful that in future there'll be further opportunities to work with them. But of course, New Zealand, like others, has a transparent process around these things. But I think it's a tribute to the competitiveness of the Korean industry and of Hyundai heavy industries at this point. Another reason why a lot of people have been talking about New Zealand in recent months um, goes back to that tragic mosque shooting in in Christchurch. Um, We saw a a meeting on anti-discrimination and hatred held at the end of March, which is attended by eight other ambassadors, as well as the heads of the UN's Refugee Agency and Office High Commissioner for Human Rights, UNHCR. What was the message that that you shared at the meeting? Well, clearly, the attack in Christchurch against our Muslim community was devastating. Um, And our Prime Minister has clearly articulated that this was an attack on the core New Zealand values of diversity, compassion and tolerance. You know, New Zealand is known, rightly, as a peaceful and inclusive country. And we're one of the most multicultural places in the world. So diversity is something we, we celebrate, not just because it's the right thing to do, but we believe it also creates a more robust uh, and prosperous community in the long run. As you know, New Zealand is founded on uh, a partnership between two peoples in the form of the Treaty of Waitangi, signed by the British Crown and the Māori people in 1840. Since then, New Zealand's only become ever more multicultural. I mean, I come from Auckland, where about 40% of the population were born outside New Zealand. Mm. So it's one of the, the most diverse cities in the world. You know, Muslim people are, are a key part of that community. So what we're focused on now is what we can do as New Zealand to help fight against uh, hatred and discrimination. You know, we're aware that we're not a perfect society, but there are things we can do. So we've already passed uh, much tighter gun laws following the Christchurch attack. Uh, and in addition, we're looking at uh, what we can do to combat the spread of violent extremism and hate speech and so on mm. on social media. You mentioned before Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern. One thing that I just want to briefly comment on is that if you ask people to name world leaders, they'd, of course, straight away say the likes of President Donald Trump, maybe Chairman Kim Jong-un for some of the wrong reasons, <laughs> right. um, the likes of Chinese President Xi Jinping. But actually, Prime Minister Ardern, she has got quite a big profile I don't know whether there's been a New Zealand leader in recent years that's had quite her profile. And part of that was, I think, because of her status as a mother in power. Part of it, I think, perhaps her response to what happened in Christchurch. Is it, do, you, do you notice that, though, that a lot more people are engaged with the New Zealand leader compared with your past diplomatic career? I think that's, that's a very, very fair comment. We're very, as a New Zealander, I'm really proud of the Prime Minister. As you say, you know, we're a relatively small country. It's, uh, it's hard for New Zealand to get that kind of attention around the, the globe, and she's a rock star. Yeah. You know, her, her brand is out there. I think there's a couple of things. You know, she, like some other world leaders, she's young. She's, she brings a fresh face to politics at a time when people are getting a bit sick of old-style leaders. She's a woman, but in New Zealand, that's not such a big deal. We've had three prime ministers who are women. Young, having a baby in office, only the second ever prime minister to do that in the world with her partner. They're not even married. So, you know. Yeah, they she, announced recently they're going to get married, which was also engaged. interesting. Yeah. yeah. So, in that sense, they, yeah, I think she's a very modern kind of 
person, but also she's got a tremendous gift of charisma and empathy, which came through very strongly after the Christchurch attacks. Um, when I personally think of New Zealand, aside from your Prime Minister, I also think of wine and rugby, um, <laughs> particularly Sauvignon Blanc, but uh, we've got the Rugby World Cup this year as well. And is it in Japan this autumn? And I was thinking that might be a great opportunity for a lot of New Zealanders to stop over in Korea while they're in this part of the world. Absolutely. And we hope that many of them will. It's it's a, is a great opportunity. Uh, we're hoping, of course, the All Blacks will do as well as they. <laughs> I think the All Blacks are the favourites, and England are in the um, unusual position of being backed just behind them. So, it could be an interesting outcome. That's right. So we're looking forward to that. And you're right. There will be a lot of people going through uh, Japan from New Zealand and elsewhere, and we'll certainly be keen to see if uh, some of them can stop off in Korea. Interesting, yeah. though, that you know, rugby doesn't have anything like the same profile here in Korea as it does in Japan. Right. And it would be nice to change that, because there's no good reason for that. Um, by the way, speaking of events coming up, we've got the World Cup. Hopefully you'll, you'll be able to arrange a few things that uh, us rugby fans in Korea can get involved with later in the year. But uh, sooner than that, the wine thing that I talked about before. Uh, yes. And in fact, we've got big flagship events coming up that we're very excited by. There's a New Zealand Wine Festival in Seoul on May 25, and then a wine festival in Busan on June the 8th. New Zealand wine is really hot these days. Just last year, it was the fastest growing top 10 wine in Korea. Uh, we've been promoting New Zealand wine uh, with the New Zealand Chamber of Commerce. We call it the Kiwi Chamber uh, for over 10 years. This will be the 11th Seoul Festival. And um, at the Seoul event, we're going to have a hungi. I don't know if you've experienced a hungi, Alex, which is a, a, a Māori feast. Right. It, the, the name is familiar, but it's the haka that's uh, probably the most familiar <laughs> part of that culture. Again, a nod to rugby there that the New Zealand rugby team always does before they play games. But the feast, what, what's involved so, with that? Will there be some traditional performance as well? Well, so uh, the haka is very well known, as you say, but the hungi is, is, is a traditional, um, like a banquet, having a, ha- how to have a big meal. And it's interesting because you basically dig a pit in the ground mm. and lay hot stones, put the food on the stones, put more stones and leaves over the top, right. fill it up, close it over for a couple of hours, and it cooks naturally underground. Barbecue with a difference. Barbecue with a difference. Then yeah. you dig it up when the guests are ready and um, have the delicious food. Sounds delicious. So that's, that's going to be fun. So we're, you know, we're really excited. New Zealand wine is, um, is doing very well. Well, you can tell a great New Zealand wine almost just by looking at it. The colour of the Sauvignon Blanc before uh, that I mentioned, for example, is just easily distinguishable by sight alone but you also see it all over the supermarket shelves how much of an impact is the free trade agreement between uh, south korea and new zealand made is that why i'm able to get new zealand wine for example a bit cheaper it certainly helps uh, so the fta between new zealand and korea came into force at the end of 2015 and um, wine immediately went to zero so it's a 15% reduction in tariff. And that's helped. It's not the only thing. But since then, our wine exports have doubled uh, to just over $5 million now. And just last year, exports were up 40% alone. White wine growing a bit faster than red wine. But uh, we're seeing very pleasing growth. And you know, there's a lot more scope for growth on top of that. We think that New Zealand Sauvignon, the white wine in particular, goes really well with, with Asian and Korean food. It does. And a lot of people automatically go for the red in this country but hopefully that's something that's changing partly due to the popularity of those whites but let's let's finish with a quick story going in the other direction new zealand in its final stage of launching automatic immigration clearance 
or e-gate for Koreans, which basically makes it easier for us to go over there. That's right. Again, this was something that came out of the president's visit to New Zealand last December. He and the prime minister agreed to, to make this happen quickly. So the idea is that Korean travellers to New Zealand will be able to just present their passport at a machine and get automatically swiped through without having to wait in queues. That's going to happen very soon. We're, st- we're in the process now of testing some actual Korean passports to make sure it works. And we hope to be able to implement it very, very soon. I say us. I've actually got a British and an American passport. Are they all right as well going to New Zealand? Uh, British, I'm pretty sure you're already there. Yeah. <laughs> of the e-gate access. All right, I'll just take that one with me then. <laughs> but I know I know it's a, a wonderful place to visit. I've not done it yet. Uh, if I do, I'll look you up. New Zealand's ambassador to South Korea, Philip Turner, uh, a great ambassador for his country, of course, but also many of these other cultural aspects that we've been reflecting on this morning. Thank you very much for your time, Eric.